Well, you know, uh, I'm glad that you're here today, and we, we've been reminded this week, I'm sure all of us are aware of what's happening in the world and in uh, Europe with Ukraine and Russia, we've been reminded this week that evil is, that evil is real, and it comes out in, in very uh, violent ways, and, you know, I just wanted us to, as a church, for, just to remind all of us, and hopefully we all are, praying for the people of Ukraine, I know we have missionaries over there right now, and uh, actually I was just talking to one of our missionary partners last night, who has connection with, with others, and saying, yeah, we've got people that are there right now, and and uh, friends that are that are there and are staying, because the mission of Christ is is that important. And you know we we got to be praying for our brothers and sisters over there, praying for courage. And you know there's going to be a lot of horrible things, unfortunately, that are happening. But we wanted us to just start. And let's let's have prayer. But we uh, we just come before you as we have been, and we see the news. We ask that you would continue to be with people who are uh, under attack today. We ask that you would continue to, to give them courage and that you would help them to find some way uh, to, to move forward in peace. We pray for the people that, the families that are uh, just through no fault of their own are uh, losing their homes and their land and we would just ask that you would be near them. Lord, that you, we know that you're a God who is able to, to change the course of history and you're able to change hearts and we pray that you would intervene in this situation. And we certainly pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ that are in the Ukraine right now that are uh, in fear for their lives. We pray that you would uh, just protect them as they do your work. And it's in Christ's name I ask all this. Amen. Well, I do want to let you know, you know, this is the, this is the time of the year. And I don't know if you guys feel this. You probably do. But I, it's like it's not quite spring, but it's, you know, there's no, like, snow. And it's just... It's just terrible. You, you want to get out of the house and do something, but there's not much to do. Well, we got a, we got something I want to let you know about. It's going to start this Wednesday. Didn't it didn't get in the bulletin card for this week, uh, but we'll, we will send out another email reminder about this this Wednesday night and and every Wednesday night. If you're looking for something fun to do, we're going to be having a, just kind of a game night here at the church. A Wednesday night from 5 to 7 with board games. It's, it's all ages. Anybody can come. You can bring a game if you want. We'll have some here as well. But wanted to let you know about that and would love to, to hang out with you. Uh, but uh, So put that on your calendar. And again, if you're, you know, Wednesday night, you're sitting home with nothing better to do. You, you might as well come out and hang out with some of your church friends. It's going to be a fun time. So we'd love to, love to have you uh, be part of that. But, you know, what, what I really wanted us to be reminded of, we're in this series we started last week called Revival is Here. We're going through the New Testament book of Mark and looking at the story of Jesus and his ministry and, and just the amazing things that he did. And the, the, uh, the theme of this is, you know, a lot of us are waiting around for God to do something. Like, when's he going to show up? Where's God at? Where, where's God? What's he doing? When the truth is, and Jesus said in Mark 1, he said, the, the kingdom of God is here. You know, I've come, and, and, and it's the, kind of the ball is in our court. It's time for us to step into that and take action. If we're going to see revival in our lives and in our families and in our communities, it's going to take some action on our part. Uh, God has already done, and he's continuing to do his part. He sent Christ into our lives. We have the opportunity, sent the Holy Spirit, and he's paid the price for our salvation. But the key ingredient that is so often missing in, in many of us is we aren't taking the steps. I just kind of want to give you this thought as I'm kind of easing into where we're going to go today. Is that humility and aggression 
are two things that can work together beautifully in your life. And they seem like they would be at odds. You think about what it means to be humble and what it means to be aggressive. And some people are kind of afraid of that word even. Like, oh, don't talk about being aggressive. But, but I'm talking about godly humility and godly aggression. If we can be humbly aggressive or aggressively humbly, whichever way you want to look at it, it, it has the potential to really, really create a lot of change and, and to be powerful in our life. And I just press, preface with this. They require courage. If you're going to be a person of humility and you're going to be a person that is aggressively pursuing the things that, that God has for you, it's, you're going to have to be courageous and you, you have to be uh, somewhat of a, of a risk taker. You, you can't be... You can't be risk, you know, a risk avoider and live the kind of life that God wants you to live. We're going to look in Mark chapter 2 today at this encounter that Jesus had with a group of guys. And, and they were part of this miracle that changed all of their lives. And it happened because they were, they were aggressive and they were courageous. And they were humble enough to know where to go for help. If you're going to experience the impossible, you're going to walk where God wants you to walk, we've got to embrace those things as well. I love the definition of courage. This is from a man named Ambrose Redmond who wrote a book called No Peaceful Warriors. And this is his definition. I've been thinking about it a lot as we've been watching some of the things unfold around the world. But his idea of courage in the book, it says that courage is not the absence of fear. It's not the absence of fear. But rather it is the judgment... That something else is more important than fear. Courage isn't, is not the lack of fear. We, we sometimes think it is. We think courageous people, they're just not afraid of anything. That's not true. If you're not afraid of anything, maybe you're just crazy. You know, we, we, it's natural to, to have fear. It's natural, you know, when we, when we see something that's a threat to feel some sense of fear... And, and I would say you have to have that if you're going to be courageous, you know. And, and what it is is when you feel anxiety, when you feel fear, you're worried. But in your judgment, there's something that's more valuable than that. It's something that I'm pursuing and I'm trusting with great boldness. That, and I'm believing that what you're stepping into is greater than what you're afraid of. In Mark chapter 2, here's what's happening. It says that when Jesus... Came And when he returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. He'd been out teaching and doing things, so everybody knew, okay, he's back. And soon, so he's in this house, he went to this place, and, he's, and it says the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room, even outside the door. He couldn't get in this place. And while he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed mat, a man on a mat. So you get the picture of what's happening. It's pretty, pretty clear there. You've got a guy who can't walk, and his friends who have heard Jesus is in town, we've heard a lot about him. We know that he has the ability to change his situation. And so we're going we're gonna to take our buddy to, to Jesus. They get to the house where he is, and they can't get in. There's no way. And the four of them are carrying this guy. It's, people are... You know, hanging outside in the front yard because you can't get in the house. So they've got to get a little bit creative. It says in verse 4 that they couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. So they dug a hole through the roof above Jesus' head. And then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. This 
is perhaps my favorite story other than the resurrection. This has got to be one of my favorite stories in the, in the Bible. I love it. And it's so easy for us to read this. And, you know, many of us, you're in Sunday school or if you went to camp as a kid, maybe you've heard this story or whatever you've heard it preached on. And, you know, it's easy for us to kind of miss, I think, how much humor is in it. Because you've got to remember that Jesus is the Son of God. He knows, he knows everything that's happening around him at all times. So he, he knows what these guys are getting ready to do. But nobody else in the house has any clue. And certainly not the homeowner who's getting ready to get a new skylight in his roof. But, you know, they hear the creaking on the roof. These guys climbing up there and, you know, a little dust starting to fall down. And all of a sudden you, you just hear this banging and, and you see a little bit of sunlight and a tile falls down. Just boom, right in the middle of the floor. And I, I imagine everybody, I, what, I wouldn't have, what I wouldn't give to be in that room and to have seen that. And it just had to be hilarious. And Jesus, I imagine, is sitting there. You know, it doesn't really say, but I imagine he's just kind of teaching and he's kind of probably smiling because he knows exactly what these guys are doing right now. And he knows how important it is to them that they get their friend to him. It says they, they lowered him down just like, a, just like a rock star, you know, right at the beginning of the concert. You know, just coming down out of the rafters, here he comes. And, and this isn't my, my main point today, but it's worth pointing out. If you've ever heard... If you've ever heard a sermon or a teaching on this passage, you probably heard something along the lines of, you know, what, what would we do to get our friends to Christ? Right? And that, that is a good point. Like, that, you know, we should remove any barrier, whatever it is, whatever the barriers are from, you know, somebody. If there's something standing between another person and Jesus, we've got to get that thing out of the way. We've got to be willing to, to dismantle anything that's a barrier to another person's faith. If you were here a couple weeks ago, we had the uh, Super Bowl of preaching. I love that day. It's so much fun and, and such a great time. It, just a chance for us to have a little bit of fun every year and not take ourselves too serious, you know, just all that, all that stuff. But every year I'll have somebody who will ask, and, and not, not being nasty or anything, but they'll just ask, so what's the deal with that? Why do we do that? You know, why would we, that's a lot of work and a lot of stuff, and what's the point? Like, why, why would we do that? And my answer is always the same. It's because that day, more than any other day of the year, there are people who are far from God, your friends, some of your friends, some of your family, people that you know, that if you invite them to come that day, there's a high chance that they'll show up. Because you say, oh, this is, this is, this is crazy, it's a lot of fun, it's cool, there's going to be lights and craziness and all kinds of fun stuff and food and whatever you got to come and and there's a there's a good chance that that person in your life that's far from the lord is going to come that day because you invited them and you said this is different it's, you know it's not like a regular church day and when they come in here they're going to realize well these people are just kind of like me they're just people you know, people are just people and then they're going to hear some good things from god's word that's hopefully going to challenge them a little bit or maybe it'll encourage them a little bit or whatever and and, and they're going to leave here saying, man, I, I didn't know that I could come to church and actually enjoy it. I thought it was supposed to be boring. <laughs> you know, aren't we supposed to just sit there and be quiet? And we've seen year after year after year people who will eventually give their lives to Christ. Because they came on a day like that because the barrier of, well, I'm not really into church has been removed. And we say, well, we're doing something different. And, and whatever it is, whatever the preconceived idea I've got in my mind of what it looks like to follow Jesus, if we can 
kind of just remove that and say, no, the, the, picture, the picture that you have is not the accurate, it's not an accurate picture of what it looks like to follow Jesus and what it looks like to be a, a faithful Christian person or, you know, attending church. It doesn't look like what you think it does. And these guys in this passage that we're in, they, they see Jesus and they see the crowds in the way and before they, they couldn't, they couldn't shove people out of the way. Uh, and so they broke through the roof instead. And what I thought something really interesting about this passage that I never, I never really realized before this past week because I've always you know, looked at this passage and thought, man, that's, that's the point. The point is we've got to do whatever it takes to get somebody to Jesus. And that is a good point. But the other thing, there are three things going on in this story. you got the guy who's paralyzed. What does he want? He wants to walk. He wants to be healed. And then you got his friends. And what do they want? They want to get their friend to Jesus. That's what they want. They want him to have a shot. You know, they, they've heard about Jesus and they think, we, we care about this guy. We want to we get him there. And then you've got Jesus. What does he want? What does he want to do with this guy? They tear the hole in the roof. They lower him down. Look at the next verse. It says that seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. Now, that's a great verse. It's a really good verse. But that is not what they traveled all that way for, is it? That's not what they were after. I mean, it's great. Thank you, Jesus, for forgiving my sins. But that's really not what we had quite in mind here. We've got him. He can't walk. We, we brought him here. We, we pushed through all these barriers. But, but, you know, many of us, we may have been in that crowd. We would have looked at this guy. We would have looked at Jesus and hear him say this. And if, you know, I think I would have said, I think what he needs right now is to be unparalyzed. Like, that's the whole point, right? Isn't that why he's here and why his friends brought him here? And, and, but Jesus, Jesus knew better. He knows something that we don't, even, we don't even see in this story because he sees right into the heart of this guy and he sees right into the heart of each one of us. And you see this over and over and over through Scripture. Whenever, whenever people, uh, you've got a person who's worried about their health or you know, their financial situation or some other physical concern, Jesus always reminds them that we all have a deeper need. We see what's on the surface, but he sees something else. And that is a relationship with God. He looked into this paralyzed man's heart. He says, I know what you need. And it's in that passage, what happens is the Pharisees, or there's Pharisees there. So they say, who's this guy I think he is? Who's this Jesus? He, he doesn't have the power to forgive people of sins. And so they're, you know, causing a ruckus. And it was at that point, after they, you know, they're saying, well, you know, you can't do this, that, that Jesus says this. Well, okay. Okay, I'll prove it to you. I'll prove who I am, that I am who I say I am. In verse 10, he says, The Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. See, the first thing was just he was going to forgive him. He, he didn't actually heal him until the Pharisees were saying, Oh, whatever. Then the, the next verse, it says, the man, then he jumped up, he grabbed his mat, he walked out through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed, and they all praised God, exclaiming, we've never seen anything like this before. It's a great story. 
I mean, it's, it would have been amazing to see this guy, you know, being healed. But you've got to remember, and, and I, what I really never saw until this past week, is that the healing of his body came after the healing of his soul. There was something much, much more important that he needed, and maybe he didn't even know that he needed it. Now, I'll tell you, I'm the type of guy that likes to fix things. If something is broken, I just can't help myself. It's like a bad, compulsive thing. I just can't even, like if something breaks around here, and I know, like, we need to call somebody. Like, oh, let me take a shot at it first. And like, Brandon, you shouldn't be doing that. I'm like, I know, but I just, I just can't help myself. And I do that at home a lot, too. And I do that even in my own relationships with, like, one of my kids, you know, is like, oh, something's wrong at school. I'm like, well, have you tried this? And, and Megan, I, she has put up with a lot with me because she'll come home and she'll be venting. You know, sometimes she's got to release the pressure valve a little bit. She'll talk about something that's going on in her classroom or these, you know, crazy kids she's putting up with. And I'm like, oh, well, have you, have you tried this yet? And she's like, thank you, Brandon. I, that never occurred to me to try that. <laughs> I just do this for a living, you know. I'm like, oh, yeah. Trying to help. And so it's taken me 17 years of marriage to finally realize that sometimes she comes to me and she's looking for, you know, help or solutions or whatever. But there's a lot of other times she's coming to me. She just, she just wants to be heard. She just wants somebody to listen. I don't need you to fix it. I just want you to listen to me. And I wonder how many times we look at God and we think, now, you know, this thing needs to be fixed. Right now. Like this. And God, if you just let me have control for about five minutes, I'll straighten this whole world out right now. Because I know what needs to happen. And I know the steps and the solutions to everything. And so, you know, God, and we, so we ask questions, well, where is God? I've seen that. I've seen that this week so much. People saying, well, where is God? Where is God? I'm like, he is on the throne. <laughs> he, he's on the throne. We don't have to worry. He's got this. No matter what happens, we, I've, I've read the book. In the end, we win. Regardless, he's on the throne, and we, we want to fix it. We want to say, God, I know if you just let me, I, I can fix this. I can tell you what needs to happen here. And God is aware of what is needed, and he's aware of what is best. We just have trouble trusting that. We just, we just get so impatient. God sees what we can't see, and Jesus is the ultimate example of compassion. You don't get any better than him. He always addressed the pain of others. But there's something that's so important for you to understand, and it's written all over this passage, is that Jesus came to the earth to love people, not just to fix problems. He came here to show us what God is like, to love us, to forgive us. And because he loves people, he, he does fix problems. And he did heal people, and he healed this man, and he gave sight to the blind. And even in our lives today, we pray, and sometimes we do see miracles, although they don't happen every day. That's why they're called a miracle. But he, he is involved actively in our lives. And Jesus, he raised the dead, and he cast out demons, and he forgave people's sins. He fixed problems. But because of his love, Jesus always saw the person before he addressed the problem. He sees you. He sees you. He sees what's going on in your life. And if we want to be like Jesus, we've got to learn to see the people before we address the problem. The church has been notoriously bad at that for a long time. We look at a person's life and we see issues and we say, oh, we've got to clean that up. 
We've got to clean that up. We've got we to gotta deal with, let's deal with the problem. Let's deal with the problem before we see the person. And that's what Jesus sees. I heard a story about a woman. It was a true story. This pastor is telling about a woman who was dying of AIDS. And uh, so she had asked a pastor to come and see her. So he went and he was sitting with her and, and uh, it all seemed pretty hopeless. And she said, I'm lost. I've ruined my life. And every life around me has been impacted and hurt by this. And I'm headed for hell and there's no hope for me. And the pastor looked over and he was sitting in her room and he saw a framed picture sitting on her dresser of a, of a pretty young little girl that was in the, in the frame. And he asked, he said, who is that? Who's that picture of? And the woman just lit up. She says, well, that's, that's my daughter. And she's the only beautiful thing in my life. And so the pastor actually said, well, let me ask you something. Would you help your daughter if she needed something? Um, if she were in trouble? And no matter how many times she failed, no matter how many times she, how many mistakes she made, would you forgive her if she asked you to forgive her? Would you do that? Would you love her no matter what? And the woman said, well, of course. Of course I would. Why would you even ask me a question like that? And the pastor said, because I want you to understand that God has a picture of you on his dresser too. He sees the person. Jesus always sees the person before he addresses the problem. Just a few verses before this story, the paralyzed guy, I love this story, but just a few verses, you back up in Mark chapter 1, go back just a few verses, it says that there was a man with leprosy that came and knelt in front of Jesus begging to be healed. He said, if you're willing, you can heal me and make me clean. I don't have time today to go into all of the the pain that would have come along with leprosy, but it was a, it was a horrible disease that attacked it attacked the flesh and would cause it to, to rot and fall off. And this guy, it's probably likely that he may have been missing fingers and, I mean, would have had rashes and just horrible, horrible, horrible disease. And in this day, lepers were sent out. They couldn't, they had to leave their families. They couldn't, you had to leave your, kiss your, you know, couldn't even kiss your spouse goodbye. If you're diagnosed with leprosy, you've got to go. Not, you're not going to see your kids, you're not going to see your spouse, you're not going to see your community. You go be in a leper colony, and it's very likely that these people had not been hugged, kissed, touched in any way for years. It's a horrible disease, and, and you can imagine this guy, the, the other thing about leprosy, it attacked the joints. So it would, everything was very painful, every movement was very painful. And you can imagine this guy having a difficult time getting down on his knees in front of Jesus. He probably just fell in the dirt. You can hear the desperation in his voice and the pain in his life. He says, if you're willing, Jesus, I, I know who you are. And if you're willing, I know you can do something for me. I know you can make me clean. And it says in the next verse, it moved with compassion. Jesus reached out and touched him. He said, I am willing. Be healed. And immediately the leprosy disappeared and the man was healed. Now, the most startling thing about this miracle is not the fact that this guy with leprosy was healed. That's amazing. But Jesus was performing miracles every day. That, that, wasn't, anything, that wasn't anything out of the, the norm of what he was doing. That's not the most startling thing. The craziest thing about this whole situation is that Jesus reached out and touched this guy before he healed him. 
See, he could have said, oh, wait a minute, whoa, 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 stay right there. Okay, poof, all right, now, come here, give me a hug. Come on, bring it in now. He didn't do that. He touches him before he was healed. Lepers would have been excluded from everybody. And Jesus, he sees what is going on in this guy's life. He sees the person and he does the unthinkable. He touched him first. He proved that this guy still had self-worth, even though he was sick. They still had value. He wasn't a leper. He was a human being with leprosy. He was somebody who was deeply valued by God. And, and that's why he touched him before he healed him. And that's why you got a guy like Matthew. The first book of the New Testament. Matthew, one of the followers, one of the disciples of Jesus who's a tax collector. Would have been hated by everybody. There would have been a lot of tension. Probably just within the disciples even. Because he would have been considered a, a traitor. Now, somebody like Matthew, that Jesus says to him, hey, come follow me. He didn't wait for him to get his life straightened out first. He didn't say, go, go make amends and go do all this stuff and go do all the right things first, then come follow me. But he knew that Matthew was a person in need, in need of a purpose. So he gave him a purpose, and Matthew followed. Funny thing is about a message like this and, and people like us, is that we always think, we just can't help it, we always think there has to be something else attached. There has to be something else attached. Like Jesus healed this guy, but there has to be something else that happens. And we look around, we look at, look at people like us, and we look around our world, and we think, okay, yeah, God loves them. I, I know that God loves them, but... And that's why this series, I think, is something that we so need because we believe that revival is something that happens when the stars align, you know, it's like this special little moment if we do enough stuff. Maybe if we, maybe if we you know, sing enough songs and have the right kind of music and just the, the drum, if it's just really rocking and, 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 and if we just get enough good stuff going and then, we, then God will look down and decide to be nice to us and, and uh, we'll all be closer to Jesus at the same time. But let me challenge you a little bit. This is a thought I have. I mean, just, just think about this. Could it be, could it be that revival isn't something that happens to us, but it's something that has happened for us? And we have the opportunity to step into what God is doing. That he's, he's in the process of reviving us. Jesus didn't just come to fix problems. You know, that's what we think is we, we want God to fix it, fix it, fix it, fix it, fix it. But Jesus said, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. He's on a rescue mission. I was reading part of a book this past week called When God Doesn't Make Sense. In the book, it talks about the true story of a guy named Greg Krebs. And Greg and his wife, they have a son named Chris. And Chris was born with cerebral, cerebral palsy. And despite his abilities, Chris just had a way of bringing a lot of joy and a lot of good stuff into their lives. But when he was seven years old, uh, Greg took him one night to pick up his wife, Mrs. Krebs, who worked at the hospital. And so he and Chris waited in a lobby where this, there was a man sitting there who was shabbily dressed and just reeked with body odor, and uh, Greg left, left little seven-year-old Chris with cerebral palsy, left him sitting in the waiting room uh, while he went up to the nurse's station to ask 
how much longer is his wife going to be? And he returned to find Chris sitting next to this man, and the man was sobbing. And Greg immediately started apologizing. He said, oh, I'm, I'm, sorry, I'm so sorry if my, if my son, you know, sometimes he doesn't know what he's doing. I'm so sorry if he offended you. I don't know what happened. And, and the, the man said, offended me. Offended me. He said, your son is the first person to have hugged me in 20 years. That is what God has done for us right now. We're waiting for him to do something. He's already reached. He's reaching out to you and to me. That's what this series is about. He's maybe, maybe revival isn't something that happens to you. Maybe it's something that's happening for you. God is reaching and embracing you and touching our lives. Maybe many of us, we, we, have, we have turned away from that. He's reaching, but we've turned away from him. For whatever the reason, we, we don't even realize that he's reaching out to us. Maybe we've been hurt. We've been burned by a church at some, some time, some way. Somebody said something somewhere, or maybe we've got a past, and we think, well, I can't reach out to the Lord because he'll, he doesn't want to have anything to do with me. Or, or, even, or maybe some of us, I've met, I've met a, lot of, a lot of guys that where they're at is they say, I, 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 don't, need, I don't need the church, and I, and I don't really have a need for God in my life because that's just for the weak people. Now, I'm not going to admit that I'm weak. I'm not weak. I've got it. I've got my life figured out, you know, and that's just for people that can't cope with life. Reaching out to the Lord is not a sign of weakness. It is not a sign. It's a sign of humility and courage and aggression. If you were in the middle of the ocean, let's say for some reason you're out in the middle of the sea and you've been tossed overboard and the ship, you know, maybe you're on one of those cruises and they just kept on going and forgot about you and you're treading water. You know, the waves beating you, and who knows what's underneath you, and you know, you're in a hopeless situation. There is no hope for you. Nobody knows you're there. I mean, you are, you're a goner. If somebody came along in a little boat and saw you there, and the guy said, hey, let me help, and reached out his hand, what would you say? Would you sit there in that situation and say, no, 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 I'm good. That's for the weak. You know, or no, no, I, you know what, I, I thought I might be in a situation like this, and I've heard about people like you, and I've been hurt. You know, somebody said something one time, there was somebody that wasn't very kind to me, and I've still got some bad feelings about it, so I don't trust you either. I'm good. Just leave me be. You know, you wouldn't do that. If you were drowning in the middle of the ocean, and somebody came along and said, hey, let me help you, you would aggressively grab a hold of them. Uh, you, with, all, with everything you've got, you'd leap in toward them that is what following Jesus looks like. That's what it looks like. We're, all of us, we're, we've been drowning in a sea of hurt and brokenness and sin. Some of us don't realize how desperate we are. Others of us do. And at some point, Jesus has come along and stuck out his hand and said, let me help. I see you. Now, many of us would say, well, why did God let me fall out of the boat to begin with? Why didn't he fix this? Why didn't he just dry up the ocean? He sees you. He sees your heart. He knows who you've been, where you've been. He knows about the problems. And I believe with all my heart that he is more concerned right now about your soul than he is about the problems. He wants to heal you first. John 1 verse 16. It's a great verse. Just one of those reminders. 
Because we think, oh, I don't know, God, I don't know if God's done much for me lately. I feel like maybe maybe He's not not concerned with me. John 1 16 says, From his abundance, we have all received one gracious blessing after another. So let's just be aware of that. Let's, let's see it. Let's ask God to help us have hearts that are soft enough to, to perceive the good that he's doing all around us right now. If we're going to be revived, if, if we're going to be a people who return to the Lord, we've got to take steps. It starts here with us, each one of us. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you that you that you do love us and that you do see us and you are you are doing a deep work in in each of us help us to to be receptive to that to not push you away help us to to not want to run the other direction when we sense that you're that you're moving and you're, you're stirring us up help us to to move toward maturity Lord, give us patience, give us strength, give us all the things that we need to be able to walk and to, to stay in step with you. We do pray for revival in our, our lives and in our families, in our, our country and in countries around the world. We pray with those today that are suffering for the cause of the gospel. They're not a, they don't have the ability to be in a safe space like we are right now to sense the peace of God. They... they it would be very difficult to sense anything peaceful for so many today. And I pray that by your Holy Spirit that you, would, that you would surround them, that you would comfort them, that you are a God who is not, not a God of chaos. And just give them everything that they need. Give us everything that we need to live faithful and godly lives. And I ask all this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Well, God bless you guys. I'll see you next Sunday.